Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Pat Corain. We have uh, lots of stuff to get to. Drafts are, are pumping off. Um, when, when does the main event start drafting when do we when do we have main event uh, signups good to go i believe pete and i are in the first one which is july 20th july 20th so we are we That's are a under a one. month yeah. yeah yeah they don't start going fast until august till like the second week of august or something like that so we are we are officially uh we are under a month until main events get going uh the nfc is going to start bopping theirs off most people are drafting best ball drafts right now but uh you know i mean this is uh this is the best time of year to be drafting your zero rb guys that you like um especially if you're playing in the the 350 ones on ffpc the the football guys players championship because uh daryl henderson tony pollard jamal williams aj dillon all of these guys uh two months from now you're going to be paying two round premiums on them like aj dillon will be a seventh round pick in the main event by september 1st like you you can pretty much just mark that down so uh definitely be thinking of that as you're drafting right now yeah it's important to remember that main event drafters i think particularly as the year goes on you know as we get into late august and and early september they're generally playing running backs at the flex um, or they're drafting like that's what they're going to do. And so that's exactly right. Those guys like Pollard and Dylan, who are pretty decent values now, are going to be have they're going to have all the value sucked out of them. And you're going to have guys that, you know, you think you can get later and feel good about. And they're also going to be too expensive. So, yes. it's like it does become a little bit tougher to build um, optimally <laughs> like. I, almost because things get so suboptimal later that it's like it's like hard to build optimal. You you have to you basically have to do like these two v two decisions and and figure out where you're losing the least amount of points by selecting a, a running back. Yeah, um, and that is why like when I'm when I'm posting these best ball drafts right now, people are like, "What, bro? I thought you were a zero RB guy." And I'm like, "Look, I am I am drafting running backs right now because I know when I start drafting." larger money leagues in August, I'm going to have, I'm not going to have Chris Carson. I'm not going to have Josh Jacobs. I'm not going to have Travis Etienne because these guys are going to be like by September 1st, would it surprise you if in FFPC ADP, Chris Carson is going ahead of AJ Brown? That would be a little aggressive, even for the FFPC. Dude, uh... I really think that's how, because also you got to factor in at least one running back going in the first two rounds right now is going to get injured. Maybe not, maybe not a yeah. season ending knee injury. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like Jarek, uh, the, the example I always think of is the year Jarek McKinnon was going as a second round pick. And then he tore his ACL in the preseason, but some running back will get hurt in the preseason, especially now that we're playing preseason games and not just training camp. Like you can just mark that up. Um, yeah. And, and I can already tell given the uh, drafters have not realized this yet, but Rashad Penny has had a, a cleanup knee surgery. 
And we're about three weeks away from the first Chris Carson puff piece with glowing reviews from uh, Pete Carroll. And, and like I, Chris Carson is just a guy I have earmarked as a helium guy that I expect him to be much more expensive two months from now than he is right now. So he's a guy I'm drafting a lot right now. Um, like I, I really like Chris Carson and I expect him to get more expensive. That makes sense to me. I mean, <clears throat> the other thing about that puff piece that's definitely going to happen is like, there's a new offensive coordinator. Pete Carroll wants to run more. So there's going to yep. be this whole thing about like, he's the perfect fit for this like zone. He's scheme. the pro- like, he's exactly what we wanted. You know, he's putting in great practices every day. We feel so lucky to have Chris like yeah. yada, yada, so on and so forth. Rams OC says Chris Carson is the running back. He would draw up in a lab. Look yeah. For that. <laughs> Look for that around like August 1st. Like you're all, you are, you could probably pre-write that blurb because it's, yeah. uh, it's coming. <laughs> um, so the, the first thing I wanted to cover on today's show was uh, a premise I already uh, clearly agreed with. You have this great article and I'm not going to, we're not going to go over every data point from it. Cause I want people to go read it on NBC But the headline gets at, you know, that what you found, which is rookie wide receivers are winning best ball leagues um, and and basically the the ending of the article is exactly what you would expect, which is we need to be more aggressively drafting rookie wide receivers. And we also probably need to be a little bit less discriminate on which ones, which I think is probably the key takeaway. Like we in general, we are bad at identifying who is good and bad for fantasy. Like just in general, we we don't, we're, uh, it's not a, the fantasy football marketplace is not that efficient. So just firing lots of bullets at rookie wide receivers is what we should be doing. Yeah. I, I think that was the key takeaway for me as well. And almost, I was like writing to myself in that piece because I, I do a ton of research on these rookies and I feel like it really pays off in dynasty. But I think last year in particular, I actually kind of shot my, I shot myself in the foot with it in redraft. Because, you know, I noted in the article that it's it's not like you're just selecting the guys who are going to be good in the NFL. You need to actually be right about in which order they're good, which is just such a high bar to clear. I mean, DK Metcalf, DJ Shark, Michael Gallup, Kenny Galladay, like these guys lost leagues as rookies. And it, you're not like you were right. You were right. You these guys were ultimately were good league winners in their second years, but they were losing leagues as rookies. Chris Godwin was another one, and so um, you need to be a little bit more open minded than I have been at times with uh, with these rookies because the thing about what you're even doing when you're selecting rookies is you're really banking on them to come out and play efficiently. And so you mentioned that the market is not very efficient in terms of, you know, knowing which guys are going to be good in any years. But the one thing we're decent at is being able to project volume. And we pay a ton of attention to news and we, we understand what these roles are going to be, what guys have done in the past, et cetera. But if your play with these rookie wide receivers is actually banking on them to sort of force the issue and being better than expected, and, and get more and more volume over the course of the year and, and deliver really strong efficiency out of the gate. I mean, you should probably cast a wide net because that is going to be very, very difficult to predict. And then I, I also think the, um, you know, the other thing that can be pulled from this is that uh, 
Well, at least at least this was one of the things I was thinking is maybe that means not necessarily writing off rookies who did not have above average win rates when they were rookies. So the guys, um, the guys that that would pinpoint for this year uh, for me would be Michael Pittman Jr. Um, and Denzel Mims, though that situation is very fraught. Jalen Rager and Henry Ruggs. I mean, Mims Mims is stone cold free right now, and. I, I think I maybe am, am suffering from minor take lock here, but my my opinion on Mims specifically is he is just better than Jamison Crowder. He is just better than Keelan Cole. And I also think there's a non-zero chance that because Corey Davis, because the Titans chose not to retain him despite having this glaring need for wide receiver, there is like a non-zero chance that Corey Davis was mostly volume-based and offense-based because the Titans' offense was so efficient with the play action and everything last year that there is a non-zero chance that Mims is a better player than Corey Davis, which I know sounds like hot fire because Mims was like the air yards inefficiency king last season. But I mean, I I guess uh, specifically – as it pertains to Mims, like, doesn't he just look good to you though? Like just watching Mims <laughs> play, I'm like, dude, he looks like he is legit. Like he belongs. Yeah. I, I'm not taking Mims right now. Um, I mean, he until, might be the Jets fifth wide receiver. So that's yeah. probably fair. Generally. I want my guys to be on the first team offense. So uh, that's, that's what I'm waiting for until he generally being able to beat out Keelan Cole would be <laughs> yeah, like a good indicator. That's a prerequisite that I have. Um, so yeah, right now, I mean, the reports are that he is behind Keelan Cole and like, it's one of those things where, you know, he's coming back from like a, an illness and he wasn't quite himself. And you know, it was, so the first day he's on the second team and it's like, okay, whatever. But then like throughout all of minicamp, he's behind Keelan Cole. And there was one day where like, they were giving reps to like Vincent Smith and like basically everyone was getting first team reps. Except we, we've Mims. already, we've already heard Braxton Berrios's name be invoked. Yeah, Braxton Berrios, like everyone's getting work with Wilson except Mims. It's very odd. Uh, that's enough for me at this point to just say I'm not going to take any more Mims until, you know, I'm going to be keep, I'm going to continue drafting through July and August. So if Mims is, is on the first team uh, at that point in training camp, then sure, uh, I'll mix him back in. And I think his price will still be pretty low. It's like this is the type of thing where I feel like people are going to be kind of, lagging by a you know a week or two on so yeah i'll be able to get plenty of mims exposure if things move in the right direction for him yeah um and then i mean i feel like every time someone comes on this podcast i ask them about henry ruggs because I, ruggs he's got to be one of the most interesting fantasy football players it ever like because he was the first wide receiver drafted in a historically great rookie wide receiver class, right? CD, Justin Jefferson, all these guys who produced right away. I mean, Justin Jefferson had the best rookie wide receiver season ever. And Ruggs was taken like, I think 13 picks ahead of him and Nelson Aguilar is gone. But I, 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 no one like Gretch is all the way out. Gretch is like, I'm out, I'm out on Ruggs. It's just cause he didn't earn any volume, even in like in an offense that dedicated like 250 targets to Darren Waller and, and Nelson Aguilar. And then other people are a little bit more like, well, someone's got to get a hundred targets. Some wide receivers got to get a hundred targets there. And it's probably not going to be Hunter Renfro. Um, where are you at on rugs? I'm in, I'm very much in on Henry rugs. I think, look, I mean, when you looked at Henry rugs coming into the league, it's all upside and he's a completely raw prospect. Like that's the reason you're interested in him is that there's a very high ceiling. He's, 
incredibly fast. Big time program. First wide receiver drafted. And he's got size. It's not like this tiny little burner. Like he's he's gonna he probably play this year almost close to 200 pounds or something. You know, he's probably play like 195 or something. And I think he came in at like 189. So, you know, the the size speed combo is is really enticing. And he has a very high ceiling as a very, very young prospect who's coming in declaring early. Right. And the scouting is there. It's not like the Raiders were the only team that thought this guy was a first round pick or an early first round pick consensus. He was going to go in that go range. in the first round. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Most people thought he would go after CD lamb, Jerry Judy, but I think basically probably 30, 32 teams had him ahead of Justin Jefferson. So, I mean, the, the scouting really came in strong for him and very much a boom bust type of prospect, but to write this guy off, after his rookie year when we knew he was raw when we knew he's a very young guy who's going to need to develop it just makes no sense to me and what's happened since is only bullish he's got you know john brown coming in replacing nelson Aguilar. it sounds like from what i'm hearing with the raiders beats that you know john brown might not even be that far ahead of like zay jones for reps and that brian edwards is probably going to be starting over john brown so John Brown's no real threat at all to Henry Ruggs. There's a lot of targets available in this offense. And what we saw with Nelson Aguilar, you know, he actually had a really nice season in this offense playing basically the exact same role that we should expect Henry Ruggs to have this year. I don't know, man. Like, what's the point of targeting second-year breakouts if you're not going to target Henry Ruggs where he's Yeah, going? like if you, are, if you are drafting Darnell Mooney a ton right now, um, like I feel like rugs rugs is going 20 picks after Darnell Mooney, despite having it, he's got a much clearer path to a hundred touches. Cause I, and I, again, if we want to, if we want to look at blurbs that uh, you're going to be writing in about three weeks, <laughs> the Henry rugs, Henry rugs is getting involved on bubble screens and jet sweeps headline is, um, like John, like Gruden's going to be like, yeah, man, you know, we love, we love getting rugs, the ball in space. It was something we didn't do enough of last year. Like I, I just can already tell you that's preordained like that's coming. I literally am going to write that blurb ahead of time because that is a, a lock. It's, it's a literally mortal a mortal lock. lock. Yeah. It's that uh, that's just coming. Uh, just looking at ADP right now, Gabriel Davis amongst these second year wide receivers. Um, look, I mean, this is a, this is a fantasy football podcast. If you want to hear me rant on Cole Beasley, you can listen to the take cast probably, <laughs> but at the very least, the idea that Cole Beasley is going to play in every game for the Buffalo bills seems much more in question right now than it did two weeks ago. Like he's like ranting, like, Oh, I'm going to play for free. I'll pay. Like, it's just like, all right, well, enjoy your time in, in COVID protocols. Um, so it feels like there's more of a role there, but even, even the removal of John Brown, the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, like Manny Sanders is 34 now, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Like, so, and, and Gabriel Davis was already really efficient as a rookie. We know the, we know the Bills are going to be one of the most uh, situation-neutral pass-heavy teams in football and Gabriel Davis already earned a bunch of targets. He was third on the team in targets already as a rookie. Uh, so move Beasley down to like 80 targets, move, move Gabriel Davis up to like 85, 90 targets or something like that. And he goes very late 
And he is, I mean, he's like the perfect best ball guy. He's like the, he's like the definition of, I like him more in best ball than in managed leagues type guy. I agree. Yeah. He's, he's a perfect best ball guy. Uh, he had a lot of uh, touchdowns last year and a lot of chances for touchdowns. He was, last he was year. second on the team in touchdowns as, yeah. as a fourth round rookie. Yeah. And I think he'll play a decent amount of kind of that John Brown high eight dot role. That's what something that really suits him. That's what he did in college. Uh, he, was a, he was kind of a downfield threat. So I like Gabriel Davis a lot um, with this Beasley stuff. I've started to also get a little bit. I mean, this is a, a kind of a 28 uh, roster spot, uh, you know, the, those deep best ball yeah. type of plays for now. But there have been some pretty glowing reports on my guy, Isaiah Hodgins, uh, last year's, I believe, sixth round pick. And uh, he spent the year on IR with a shoulder injury, got that cleaned up looking healthy, looking great. Josh Allen's talking about his, his quickness and speed. He's catches, catching everything. He's got huge hands. I'm, I'm excited Amazing. about Isaiah Hodgins. If we don't, if we don't get Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley's actually sits out the year or something. I mean, there, there is a non-zero chance that Cole Beasley just is not playing this year because he decides to become like a martyr for COVID protocols. I mean, real, that like, it's I'm probably pretty slight because I bet Cole Beasley wants the paychecks, but it, it's like, he's got to, it's at least in play for sure. It's in play. Yeah, I would say probably 98% chance he plays this year. Yeah. Um, what are you doing with Paris Campbell? Paris Campbell is not a second-year player, but he played – I think he, what, he only played in three games last year before he ended up getting hurt. Like, there are still Paris Campbell believers out there. And, I mean, someone on Indianapolis should have a bunch of volume incoming because T.Y. Hilton has just continued uh, to break down, basically. Like, he, he just is – it seems like he is incapable – of playing a full season. Um, he did play 15 games last year, but was banged up in a month. Their target distribution last year, so funny. 93 for Hilton, 76 for Hines, 71 for Pascal, 61 for Michael Pittman Jr. And then they had, they have five guys with between 28 and 47 targets. Like if that volume condenses at all for one of these wide receivers, whether it be Campbell, whether it be Pittman, like one of those guys, well, and I guess pending, Carson Wentz uh, unpumpkining. One of them should be like a giant value. I like unpumpkining as a phrase. I have to steal that. Uh, Paris Campbell. Yeah. I mean, I like him. Uh, I think overall, like they rotate their wide receivers a lot, which is why you saw that like that, that was also reflected in the routes run, you know? Um, and I, I don't know that that will change. I mean, they did lose their offensive coordinator uh, Sirianni. So, so maybe that was his thing. I don't know. Given, but, given um, all of his quotes at Eagles camp thus far, not sure, not sure I'm going to view that as a negative. <laughs> this was, this was the guy who said he was playing rock, paper, or scissors with guys in draft meetings to figure out how competitive they were. Yeah. I'm not talking about like his, uh, his ability to de- design an offense. I'm actually saying it might be good because it might he, be good. Yeah. If he's rotating their wide, if he was the one kind of responsible for rotating the wide receivers, um, then it could be really good for Pittman in particular, but, but really whoever wins a big role. Um, I think Campbell's fine at, at, uh, you know, he's like wide receiver 66 right now. He's going behind like Emmanuel Sanders and stuff. I'm good with it. I've not been as excited about Campbell throughout his career. Um, I don't know. I guess it's because he just isn't like a, a great analytical prospect. And then he struggled with the injuries, but he has flash. He's looked good. Like when you, when you, you know, talk about Mims passing the eye test. I think Campbell passes the eye test as well. So yeah, uh, 
I think he's a pretty a pretty nice dart throw. Yeah. Uh, another dart throw that I well, so this wide receiver range is more interesting than it's ever been because so many people are doing the early running back and then just hammering wide receivers late strategy um, as opposed to just you know you draft you, the the standard roster construction on underdog last year and on draft years before was two quarterbacks six running backs uh seven or eight wide receivers two or three tight ends but now it's like people are taking 10 wide receivers and only taking four running backs and the the wide receivers that people find interesting are going earlier than ever so it it does get thin pretty quick a guy i still find myself interested in can't help it christian kirk but it's it is it's just so related to like i just i i feel like cliff has the keys i feel like he can figure it out he has not shown a willingness to do that um and aj green is for sure going to be out there the first snap of the 2021 season Mm -hmm. like you you, he is just going to be out there there's nothing we can do about it um but I, I don't know if that is a plan that lasts all of 2021. Can you give me any optimism or hope on, on Christian Kirk? I struggle with that because I'm, I'm very excited about Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore. And I think this offense is going to operate best when A.J. Green eventually goes away. And I think he'll, he'll almost have to at some point. He's, he's just he was so dusty last year. And Christian Kirk goes back to the outside, which has not been great for Kirk, but he's he's a capable player on the outside, but it doesn't lead to a lot of fantasy goodness. If you've got Hopkins and Kirk on the outside and then Rondell Moore in the slot, that's pretty deadly. And I think that's probably where we end up, you know, maybe by mid-season and later. Early in the season, you're probably going to have in four wide receiver sets, Green, Hopkins on the outside, and then Kirk and Moore on the inside which is also pretty deadly, although you do have A.J. Green on the field, which is not optimal. But that's where I think, you know, maybe we could see some nice weeks out of Kirk because he should be in the slot. Like, if you're just optimizing for Christian Kirk, he should be playing out of the slot. Um, I think in some ways, A.J. Green helps him because it, it pushes him back into the slot. So that's probably the play. And then you hope that, you know, Green plays well enough and, and Kirk plays well enough uh, that, you know, he's not losing any snaps to more. And then this team's just basically running a ton of four wide receiver sets. So going back to the rookies, um, which ones are you jamming the most? Uh, I assume, I assume Bateman is uh, you're just, it's, it's going to be hard for you to call that Bateman exposure. I mean, Jamar chase is fully priced. He is the wide receiver 20 on underdog uh, Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith is pretty close to full price at uh, at wide receiver thirty three. Seems very rich. On, He's overpriced. On a, yeah, he he is overpriced. Uh, and then you get into the Jalen Waddle, uh, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, um, Rondale Moore type range. I mean th- that range is where I found myself taking rookie wide receivers the most. Rondale, Rondale, and Elijah are the most interesting to me at cost right now. Yeah. So just to just to kind of back up on the findings of this article basically like you the rookie wide receivers have been very very productive um super high the most um the highest win rates of any year at wide receiver have come from rookies and then i was just looking at how this is happening some of it is that they are earning more volume over the course of the year but not everyone does um but basically everyone is playing efficiently outside of like dart throws 
The lowest yards per out run was 1.7 yards per out run. These guys are averaging 1.81 yards per out run. If you eliminate the dart throws, it goes up to 1.93. I'm talking about rookie wide receivers who finished top 20 in win rate. So the way they're getting there is by playing highly efficiently. And the volume that they're getting is basically across the board below average from a season-long perspective. Like Justin Jefferson had a below average workload in terms of routes run over the course of all of last year. So generally, you want to be betting on guys who you think can play efficiently. You don't want to overpay for projected volume because no one is all that likely to have a really high workload in, you know, compared to a veteran. And then because you're betting on efficiency, as I said before, you want to spread out your bets, but you should also probably keep your bets a a bit on the cheaper side. That's another thing. Um, And so therefore with like Devonta Smith, he's someone where I would like to get more exposure because I don't have much exposure in dynasty, but he's being priced up because of projected volume. So it's like the exact opposite reason of what you want to be doing here. So I don't think I'll really have much. I think Devonta Smith could just basically ruin my 2021 because I'm not, I don't have him in dynasty. I'm probably not going to have him in, in redraft best ball, anything getting a little bit later. Um, Jalen Waddle, by the way, another guy who I would like to bet on, but is also a little bit expensive. He's really not- priced up. It's like the the market is the market's like we don't want Tua, but we want Waddle, we want Fuller, we want Gaskin, and we want Gasicki. So it's uh it's kind of kind of like the Steelers where all of their wide receivers go in the top eighty picks, but no one wants Roethlisberger. Right. Yeah. So like Waddle, I feel like if he was going where Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman were are, then then I'm in there but I can't really get on board right now. Uh, but yeah, once you get to the next range, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, I'm in. I'm very, very in on all three of these guys, but I think the Moors are the best bets. That as, much as, it, as much as I want to say Bateman because I love him for Dynasty, it's the Moors who are better bets this year, I think, because um, particularly with Rondale, you can see a path to – truly elite efficiency like Rondale's yeah. going to be getting a ton of yards after catch he's going to get like a, a fair amount of design stuff I would imagine he's going to be playing in a role that's going to perfectly suit him out of the slot he's got DeAndre Hopkins taking away defensive attention he's also playing in a, a an offense that's got a pretty sizable role for him he's he's got a good chance of having like a full role for a rookie you know maybe 32 routes per game or something over the course of the year He's not going to struggle. And they run a bunch of plays. They run a bunch of plays. They run a ton of plays. Yeah. Bateman's probably going to have like 26 routes per game this year. And and Moore's probably going to have like 32. So just, you know, although volume isn't the primary concern, being able to get like, you know, a a sufficient workload is definitely something that you want a path to. And Rondell Moore's uh, path to a sufficient workload that he stacks elite efficiency on top of, I think is the clearest for, all of these early drafted wide receivers. And then Elijah Moore, it's the path is a little bit more unclear, but he's tearing up Jets camp right now. Excellent prospect. Uh, new coaching staff clearly prizes this guy. I think he'll get on the field plenty. I think he's going to be playing on the outside as well as in the slot. And he's another guy that I think you could see elite efficiency out of the gate from. So I like all three of these guys a lot at cost. Yeah, I'm, I'm in on Rondale. I'm in on Elijah. I, uh, I have to say, though, I have not been taking a ton of Bateman because 
dude, Sammy Watkins is just going to be a problem for him. Like we've already, we've already started to hear it. Oh, Watkins is the best wide receiver in camp. You know, he was, he was not healthy really his honestly, the last two seasons with the chiefs, he was, he was banged up. Um, you know, there, there are some volume concerns in the Ravens offense. I think the Ravens passing offense is going to be insanely efficient, kind of more the way it was in 2019 than the way it was in 2020. I think the up, I, and I've said this on every podcast for months now, but the upgrades from Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin and Nick Boyle to Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace. I think these are, and even removing Mark Ingram snaps, right? No, no Mark Ingram snaps, only JK Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. Like those are, like, it, it should be a very efficient offense, but asking them to go from 400 passing attempts to 500, even with the extra game, that's a lot. Now, maybe they do it. I, I think that is, I think the Ravens being a more pass friendly offense certainly is a potential outcome in the cards. But also, they are, they are the Ravens are going to have a ton of games that they win thirty five to ten, and they just they're just crushing the ball down the other team's throat. So their passing volume will be kind of weird too. It will definitely be weird. But you know, um, in twenty nineteen when they were just crushing everybody and um, they had uh, you know the little Lamar MVP season, Marquise Brown had a top thirty win rate. Uh, he ran twenty six routes per game. You know that it's. It's not. It like, was deep because it was deep bar. throws. They were they right. were so like Marquise Brown was just crushing people on deep throws. Like Lamar was throwing like twenty eight passes, but for two hundred and forty yards and two touchdowns. Like they were just they were just scoring. Like Lamar, I think if I remember correctly, Lamar's TD rate that season was like nine and a half percent. Like nine and a half percent of his passes went for touchdowns. Well, that's the thing with low volume, high efficiency, right? It leads exactly. to points. So. There's going to be points in this offense. No one's disputing that. It's just, you know, how much volume is going to lead to those points. I don't think it'll be a ton of volume this year. My play with Bateman in Dynasty has basically just been we bet on talent at wide receiver and we kind of let the NFL figure the rest out. And I think eventually, you know, and it's a bet could, on Lamar too. It is. It's, it's a also, it's too. a bet on Lamar continuing to improve, which is a, a bet I, I for sure want to be making. Like I yeah. think Lamar will become better as a passer every year, basically. Agreed. And like Miles Boykin, Des Bryant, we're getting significant. Yeah, Des snaps Bryant, 30, 33 year old Des Bryant. Yeah. And the alpha wide receiver in this offense is Marquise Brown. You know, he's a tiny guy. You know, he's a speed wide receiver. He's a compliment wide receiver. To not have an alpha wide receiver, to basically have your alpha wide receiver be a tight end, it's not really fair to say that we, you know, the book is written on Lamar Jackson. So I think like two, three years down the line, Bateman could be an absolute smash in dynasty. I do see the reason why you wouldn't want to be targeting him as much in best ball. And, you know, I would be taking Rondell Moore over him. He's what Rondell Moore's wide receiver, 63 and underdog ADP Bateman wide receiver, 56. So I'm one of the bigger Bateman guys in the industry. And, and even I wouldn't be taking him, you know, ahead of Rondell Moore. So I'm a little bit behind him. Uh, I guess he's probably a touch overvalued right now in best ball, though. God, I still do want, I still do want exposure. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to, I want to transition now to best ball roster construction. Cause I've been, you know, just kind of playing some of these things around in my mind. And I, I did a best ball mania team yesterday in which I drafted six running backs, which is, it's very, it's very passe to do that now. Right. Like, uh, don't, don't do <laughs> that. Yeah. It's, it's very gauche to do six <laughs> running back teams. Um, and a couple things. 
So first is, of course, you know, Justin Herzig drafts the hyper-fragile four running back team wins the $200,000 last year. But our friend over at Underdog, Nick Rudman, had, uh, had a tweet the other day reminding us the winner of the $5 tournament on Underdog was your very standard three quarterbacks, three tight ends, six running backs, six wide receivers, which is not to say that either roster construction is the nuts, but that we tend to and and this happens in DFS analysis as well. We look too much at first place finishes and not at top 0.1% finishes, top 1% finishes, uh, because anything that wins a large field tournament is going to have, first off, you're going to have picked the right players. Like that is the, that is the, the key. But then also you're looking at extreme 99.999 percentile outcomes and I, I think that the the way that I feel now is that the four running back teams are still good. I still get completely agree with the theory behind it, which is that when we're drafting a best ball team, we should be drafting like every pick is correct. Um, so obviously when you're drafting four running backs, you're saying, okay, these four running backs I take, they're going to stay healthy. They are going to give me the points I need. And I'm just going to have loads of spike weeks from my wide receivers and for my tight ends. However, there clearly is going to be a problem if you draft an entire portfolio across underdog DK drafters, all the places that do it with hyper fragile running back teams, because you are going to be opening yourself up to just gigantic downside. If you have a bunch of low number running back teams and, and what I tweeted at this to Pete yesterday is like, I'm not trying to meme myself into a spot where I have thousands of dollars of exposure on these teams where a Clyde Edwards Hilaire ankle sprain basically like disqualifies me from making money in best ball for a season. So I, I am starting to do more of the two quarterback, two tight end, six running back, eight wide receiver teams on underdog at this point. And how are you constructing those running back selections with that? So ideally what you want to do is you want to take two running backs in the first three rounds. So whether that be you, you know, you, you start off with, uh, you know, Chubb and Eckler, uh, Cam Akers and uh, Najee Harris, whoever, um, you know, Chris Carson, who I talked about earlier. Uh, I think ETN in the fifth, uh, I am, I'm very open to him as being a zero RB guy. Cause I expect him yeah. to be involved in the passing game. I cooled off on taking Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, who I obviously would never take in the main event. Um, but feel, I still feel that they're viable in best ball just because the bar for usable running back weeks, I think is going to be pretty low, but the idea is basically I cooled off on them. Uh, I believe in February, so in I, February. I yeah. So kind of the idea is two to three expensive starting running backs, right? Two, two to three. Yeah. Um, so that basically three running backs in the first four rounds. Um, I, I think this construction works best with an elite quarterback and an elite tight end. Um, whether that be Dak, whether it be Kyler, Herbert, Russell Wilson, because then that frees you up to only take one backup quarterback instead of two. If your first quarterback is Kirk Cousins, you probably want to take three quarterbacks. If your first tight end is Noah Fant, you're probably wanting to take three tight ends. Um, but if your first quarterback is Dak and your second quarterback or your in uh, your first tight end is Waller, Kittle, Kelsey, Kyle Pitts, uh, or Mark Andrews for me. I think you can only take two. That frees you up to take the eight wide receivers. I, I, I don't have any confidence that this is like, oh, I'm going to draft all my teams this way. But uh, mentally, 
it feels like a roster construction that is both embracing the elements of Herzig's hyper-fragile stuff with getting the running back points locked in early, but then giving you a little bit of flexibility for some potential usable running back weeks later on in the draft. Yeah, so this, I like that. I like, there's kind of a version of this. Um, Leone and I were kind of jokingly calling it the hyper-Rojo strategy, where you take... Take him in the ninth round. Yeah, you take that start, you get two running backs in like the first three rounds, pair it maybe with an elite tight end. Then you just hammer wide receiver and then come back in like the ninth round and, and like the 10th, 11th round and get two more running backs in kind of that range in that Rojo, Zach there. Moss, uh, Michael AJ Carter, AJ Dillon, Henderson. Yeah. There's like all these guys in that pocket that I think are all pretty decent bets. They're kind of the classic, like zero running back, like the guys we feel best about. It's yeah. like zero running. They're like sort of zero running back the zero running back starter kit. So you take two of those guys and you're done. Maybe you take like a a true flyer at the very end, but you're basically done. So it's a, it's essentially a hyper fragile strategy, but you're going even more fragile, even more fragile. And you're getting more wide receiver points that way. Exactly. So my, my thing would be with that strategy is I, I would imagine that in that strategy with, with the elite wide receivers added, like, let's say you get, um, Tyler Lockett, uh, DJ Shark, and Amari Cooper with that start, my guess is that you are more likely at some point in the season to need 11 points from Daryl Williams than 11 points from Amon Ross St. Brown in that start. That is, that, and again, that is, that is a very intuitive-based guess. Like I have not you know, really dug into these numbers, but I've played fantasy football for a long time and done these drafts for, you know, I've been doing best ball for probably a fucking decade at this point. And that is, that is just, that is my, my intuitive guess is that you're sitting there going through your teams at week 11 and you're like, shit, I really need uh, three for 16 and a touchdown from Daryl Williams more than I need Amon Ra four for 40. Well, the other thing that I think that brings up um, is that, flyers 18 17th 18th round flyers are looking a little bit different than they did last year extremely true yes because everyone's doing the four running back construction the the wide receiver flyers like have really been pushed up a guy who would have been an 18th round pick two years ago is going in the 14th round now and that's really reflected in adp guys like uh traquan smith John Brown, Brashad Perryman, Christian Kirk. These are 15th round picks instead of 18th round picks. Exactly. So with that being the case, I have no problem basically executing this strategy. And then, you know, you take in the 18th round, you you get a running back flyer instead. Like if you want to take Ramondre Stevenson or something instead of a, a wide receiver, cool. You know, like that's, I think that's probably smart, you know, these late round flyers, like you can't, you can't just decide you're taking a, a wide receiver and then the, there's no wide receivers and you know, you're taking like Des Fitzpatrick or something just, just so that you can say you <sighs> too did. soon, too soon on Des Fitzpatrick. <laughs> um, well, and, and the other thing is I feel like the current zero running back back end of the draft market is a little bit less efficient than it is, than it will be when training camp starts. Um, a couple examples of this, 
Uh, Damian Williams for the Chicago Bears. I, I think that he is more likely to be the third down back than Tarek Cohen is because of this ACL injury for Tarek Cohen and then the clear relationship between Damian and Nagy. Um, like, I think he's an example of a guy who you're going to get, like, he's kind of like arbitrage Naheem Hines is kind of what I think of, uh, Damian. And, and also if David Montgomery were to get hurt, Damian would be the handcuff. Tyra Cohen would not get right. more of the touches. Um, I think Elijah Mitchell is going to have a week one role for the 49ers, given how banged up they are, which sounds absurd, but that's just kind of how I think Wayne Gallman actually will. So, I mean, but that Wayne Gallman's running back 91. Yeah. You can take you can take Wayne Gallman. Uh, Ty Johnson, I also like right going right there. Ty Johnson, Samaj Pirine. Uh, we've already gotten some some uh, fluff about him out of Bengals minicamp. I know our, our our guy Eric Bimefor is like all like taking Pirine and all these drafts. But even even cheaper than that, why would why would Daryl Williams be available with your last round pick? Daryl Williams is just going to be the handcuff to CEH. Like I love Jarek McKinnon. I've loved him for a long time. Daryl Williams is the second running back in Kansas city. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think, you know, and you're the, the guy you're passing on to take him is, is like Tyron Johnson. Yes. Kendrick Bourne. Like Byron the, the opportunity cost is very low to take Daryl Williams. Um, what about, what do you think about this as a 17th, 18th round strategy? You just take Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly. I, I do not hate it because nothing the Chargers have ever done with Austin Eckler suggests they're going to give him carries inside the goal line. And they were willing to give Kalen Balaj. He of like, he's like laughably bad. Like every team ever is like, this guy sucks. But they were giving Kalen Balaj goal line carries ahead of Austin Eckler. Yeah, so if you do this, you're not actually targeting like a backup. You're not saying I'm going to take two stabs at the backup. You're saying I'm going to take two stabs at like a 1B. At, at like, like getting Jamal Williams. Yeah. 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 And this defense could be good, right? They just got Staley from the Rams, who's like probably the most kind of innovative, creative new DC, or at least that's that's the hope. And they've got Bosa. Like they're set up to maybe be pretty decent on defense. They could be ahead, you know, if Herbert looks, you know, as good as he, if he actually is as good as he looked last year, this could, they could be winning a lot of games and salting away a lot of games. And Austin Eckler is not your salted, salted away running back. So one of these guys could have a lot of run and, you know, the expected points from like the 17th, 18th round is so low. I noted in the receiver piece that, you know, Benjamin had like a 10% win rate last year. That's not because he did anything. It's because, you know, taking flyers on guys like, you know, Benjamin was generally a good call. You know, Benjamin was generally kind of a, a road of his type of pick. So, you know, they, they were having a pretty good year overall. But I think also it shows you that, you know, you can take a zero from one of these guys and still be okay if you're well especially at running back right because you're not really wanting to use your running back scores and flex all that much like the idea the idea should be that most weeks your flex score is you know a tight end who you know an Irv Smith Jr. two catches four yards two touchdown game or just a rando spike week from a wide receiver you're you're really just trying to fill running back too which is again to, to, to go back to the other side, this is the, the hyper-fragile only take four running backs argument because yeah. you're, only trying to, you're only trying to really fill two spots. Any week you get the third spot filled is 
total uh like that's total uh, that's a bonus um well but I, the other thing is that you're with hyper fragile you know you're really looking to fill one spot because you take a guy like i took i'm building one now where i took antonio gibson in the second round i was on the back end and that's it like antonio gibson needs to pop off and have an awesome year or i'm not winning best ball mania like full stop so from that point on i'm now trying to fill one weekly running back start antonio gibson smashing he's in that running back spot every single week for me i'm filling one spot so i'm taking three maybe four stabs throughout the rest of the draft just to have enough of those RB2 spots, which are probably going to be somewhat low scoring weeks, but I'm going to be smashing people at wide receiver, tight end, quarterback. Yeah. So I think in a vacuum, like if you told me, Davis, you have to draft one team to try and win the best ball mania, and you don't have, you're not going to factor in how much money these entries are costing you, you know, ROI, anything. All that matters is trying to draft one perfect team. I would draft a, two quarterback, four running back, nine wide receiver, three tight end team probably is what I, is what I would consider to be like the, the nut hyper fragile strategy. The problem is, is I'm not drafting in a vacuum. I'm drafting a portfolio. I'm like, I'm not leveraging myself. Like I'm not taking out like a loan to draft these teams, but I will be investing a real portion of money across all these different platforms to draft these teams. And I, I really am not trying to end up with thousands of dollars of equity on four running back teams. I'll still be drafting the four running back teams or on DK five running back teams. Cause you get two extra roster spots there, but I, which I don't know. And maybe, maybe that's bad. Cause, but I, I want to advance. So like, I want to advance more than 10% of my teams. Like I'd like to advance, you know, to, I like kind of historically like 12% would be really good. That would be about 25% better than average. And that would lock you into a good amount of profit, assuming you get one final team through to the last round. And I think yeah. that in, in a portfolio in, in drafting a lot of teams, six running back teams in there, just because it's going to prevent you from some disaster teams in there, just because it's going to prevent yeah, you from I would from say some if disaster. you're doing the six running back teams, then make those zero running back teams, you know, don't, don't take any running backs early. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing five running back teams, I mean, to me, the best five running back, build is um to do the one elite running back you know and then you can like i've got so that team i mentioned i took antonio gibson then i ended up getting like chase edmonds and james robinson fell really late so i have them i just have three now and i'll probably do that justin jackson uh josh kelly thing and and end up just with five total and uh I feel like that's that's a that's probably my favorite build. Like especially if you can get you know a top two pick, you've got Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook. Just taking that guy and then not worrying about running back for a long time is my favorite way to build. Like if I could kind of like salary cap this whole thing, that's like that's the build that I would select is basically the one elite running back. Uh, but I do think it's good to mix it up. I guess I would just say like with the four running back true hyper fragile builds. You don't have to take all of those running backs with high selections. I think that that's something that Leone's talked about a lot. Like, let's get even more fragile 
with the hyper fragile, particularly yeah, include, include, take, take Dalvin cook, but then don't take anyone else until like take, uh, take Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard and Daryl Williams with your, with yeah. your other picks and then just get so many wide receiver points. That's a, that's also a hyper fragile build. And when you're trying to basically have the nuts, which you're going to need for this massive tournament, um, which Eric Vinefor is basically saying like, you're playing the Millie maker now. Like that's yes. what this is now. It wasn't the Millie maker last year. Now it's the Millie maker. So now, now one, one thing I do want to point out in this discussion is that it's important to know like what your goals are. And obviously winning the whole thing is amazing, yeah. but like you can grind out because people are not very good at best ball. Like just historically, this is true. You can, you can grind out a good ROI, even with the crazy top heavy structure, you can grind out a good ROI inside of the tournaments because of how they work. Like you can, you That's can, true. if you would, if you advance 15, like it's, it's kind of like a, um, like a, a, a three man with a little bit of upside or whatever, like on, on DK, like you've got the, you've got the upside to get some money back inside your leagues, or you've got the floor of getting money back inside the leagues, but then with the upside of, you know, all the, all the crazy money up top. And I mean, I, I it's just not that hard to, to build best ball teams that, grind out a decent ROI provided you don't just like run catastrophically bad on injuries. Yeah. I guess the nice thing is that like to add a little bit more upside to your team in terms of the roster construction, you're not sacrificing like that much equity of, of advancing. Maybe, maybe I'm saying to sacrifice a little bit, like because you're taking, you know, you're running back three instead of like in the fourth or fifth round, you're bumping that back to like the eighth or ninth round. Um, and so that, you know, that guy has a, a lower chance to hit for sure, which will hurt your chances to advance. But that running back three, instead of taking a fourth or fifth round, you're taking a wide receiver who's going to score a bunch of points. And yeah. it's historically been a better pick in that range anyway. So I don't know that it actually is like hurting your chances of advancing. You're You're kind of like, it's probably close to a wash just because you know, we talk about the running back dead zone. When you go hyper fragile, you're selecting running backs in a part of the draft that has historically been a very bad that place you to shouldn't do. Backs. Yeah. So doing this, you're avoiding that trap, and you're still ending up with you know a lot of upside because you don't have you haven't you haven't played for floor. I mean, the the other thing is that like with a 12 team league, you have an 8.3 percent chance of advancing, right, finishing first in that league. Yeah. So. It's already like you already need to be playing for upside. You have less than a 10% chance to win the league playing for like playing as if you have like a 6% chance to advance instead of an 8% chance. I don't know that that's going to necessarily hurt your, your chances of winning the league. And then you have, you know, maybe a, a slightly better chance of actually taking the, the big time money. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and um, Hayden Winks actually had this great tweet the other day. Let me see if I can find the exact wording, but uh, basically his tweet was, um roster construction through 15 rounds is really important but roster construction rounds 15 through 18 it doesn't matter like basically like with your picks where you are expecting to get a reasonable amount of return of points you should be very conscious with the types of players you are selecting the positions that they are going to fill but you know after pick 180 what's really the difference between a running back a wide receiver and a tight end you're just trying to find any guy who is contributing meaningful scores here week, which is kind of a freeing way to look at the back end of drafts. I love that. Yeah. The, 
one thing I think that can be helpful is to think about your drafts in terms of like auction dollars. And you've basically been assigned like chips, you know, each, each selection that you have is basically worth a certain amount of pre-assigned auction dollars, you know, out of a $200 budget, your 16th, 17th and 18th round picks are all $1 players. You're not, they're not worth anything really. Yeah. So how you spend your, those $3 is a lot less important than how you spend like your $55 chip, you know, in the first round. Uh, and, and even, you know, through the middle rounds, you're still talking about, you know, 15, 16 bucks, a, a selection where, you know, if you, if you screw up those in the roster construction, that just intuitively, it, it makes way more sense that, you know, you should be paying attention to that. And that goes to the point I was making before, like, don't get like bogged down in, oh, I need to get a ninth or 10th wide receiver here in the, in the 17th round because of roster construction when we know that the wide receiver market in the 16th, 17th and 18th round is very different than last year. So, you know, those results might not be indicative of what we can expect this year. I think, uh, you know, in some ways, like when I, as I'm kind of thinking this through in this draft that I have now, like I have three running backs. I'm currently in the early double digit rounds ignoring running back through this phase of the draft and then grabbing two at the very end allows me to kind of take those wide receivers that would have been like, you know, 15th, 16th round last year, but now I have to take in the 12th and 13th round. So I'm still getting like the same quality of players, but the, they're all kind of just getting mixed up in terms of when I'm taking them. And maybe I'll take one more running back than I might've otherwise as a result. What's your, what's your stone favorite quarterback wide receiver stack number one pat corain's number one stack oh man that's tough uh i for a while there it was like trey lance um to iuk but i mean i i like hurts i like hurts to rager i'll tell you that hurts to rager is good hurts to rager is nice i i want i want to get more um rusted dk that's one that I. that one's I tough lock it lock yeah. it russ is a lot easier lock it russ is a lot easier yeah i really want more of that one uh i'm working on the seahawks preview now for for nbc sports edge and i'm excited about this team people have, have there's finally started to be some positive buzz on this team the narrative was like very very bearish. negative yeah for a long time and there have been reports out of minicamp that you know this they want to be up tempo. Um, you know, I, I've talked about this uh, in a TV hit with you that, you know, the Seahawks, this whole deal with, with Brian Schottenheimer getting fired as if this is a bad thing. I mean, Brian Schottenheimer, he's, he's Rex Ryan and Jeff Fisher's boy. Like, you know, he, he loves bad, slow offense. Like we wanted him out of right. it. And uh, you know, he, he had never had a top 10, I think 14th was the highest, uh, highest the Seahawks have finished in passing yardage uh, under Brian Schottenheimer. So, you know, he can't get a top 10 passing offense out of Russell Wilson. Like it's time to move on and see what else we got. And now we have a guy who is coming from the McVay offense and he was the passing game coordinator and they probably will run a little bit more, but I think it's going to be kind of in that Arthur Smith, um, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay at times 
style where, yeah, you're running more, but you're using a ton of play action. You're doing a lot of creative things. You're not letting the defense just understand exactly what DK Metcalf is going to do before he does it and, and double team him and make you beat you, you know, make uh, Russell Wilson beat the defense with his third option. You know, that's basically what was happening to close the entire season last year. So uh, I think that this offense could be really exciting and, you know, like imagine Russell Wilson is kind of like Ryan Tannehill, you know, or imagine uh, Russell Wilson, if, if, uh, if the Rams had traded for him, like, you oh, know, there's like, yeah, you know, like they, even if they were like, and we're going to run, we're going to run a lot, but like, I mean, the Rams just, ran a lot, the Rams, yeah, ran, the Rams a lot, ran, but they, they were good passing the ball though. Exactly. A, efficient, an efficient, well-designed passing offense that like might actually run like a, a little bit of RPO for Russ. Like, could you imagine? Like, this could be. I literally, just an I literally smash can't season. imagine. I like actually can't imagine it. <laughs> yeah. So this could be uh, just this you, could you be missed, an awesome season you, for Russ. You missed the layup, though. the The answer is third round CD, fifth round Dak, sixteenth round Blake Jarwin, and then you can toss in Tony Pollard, tenth round, if you feel so inclined. That is a nice one. That is a very, very nice one. Yeah. Uh, CD is just set up to, to smash. I mean, he's going to be a first round pick next year. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to be a first round pick next year. <laughs> looking That's at, true. looking at my, looking at my exposure on, uh, on underdog right now, CD is my highest exposure player, which is very hard to do with a third round pick, but for a while you could take him in the fourth round, which is why that is true. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of high exposure Davis Maddox players, where are you at on Nicole Hardman right now? Dude, I mean, I just, I can't help it. I take him all the time. 40, 45% <laughs> exposure. Like, what, what do you want me to do? He is cheaper this season than last year. And his competition for touches are Stonehands D-Rob, 28-year-old Byron Pringle, uh, and I think 23-year-old Cornell Powell, who is a fifth-year player out of, out of Clemson. And then... They, add, they bring back Blake Bell from the Cowboys and they draft uh, Noah Gray, a fifth round tight end. So they, these are the options. These are, your, these are your options. Either McCole Hardman is so bad that Demarcus Robinson has a, a 90 target season. Clyde Edwards Hilaire turns into Christian McCaffrey and gets 100 targets. 60% of the offense goes to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Like those guys each have 170 targets or something like that the Chiefs pass the ball less. Like, doesn't it feel like the most, like if you just Occam's razor this, the most likely thing is that deserving or not, McLaurin gets 130 targets from Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I think McLaurin is a good bet. I think he's a good... It's, I think he's finally like, like I, a legitimately I think he might good even, bet. He might even suck, but it's... I don't even know if it matters because of the offense he's in. Yeah. I mean, he kind of does suck a little bit. He's not he's not awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's not like a great route runner. Clearly, he doesn't have great awareness. Um, I was talking about this with Gretch on this show last week, but we both remembered that play where he had a 99-yard touchdown and it, like, hit him in the ass. Like, he he didn't turn around in time. And, and it, maybe it was on Mahomes. Maybe it was on Hardman. Who knows? But that that play was just kind of emblematic. And then Byron Pringle out-snapped him in the Super Bowl, which um, just an amazing sentence I just said right there. And then they gave uh, Pringle like a second round tender. So they were, they were but terrified I mean, of losing. They him. were, they were, I mean, if Byron Pringle goes, 
we're talking about Cornell Powell being a guy who's getting action week one. So like they were, they were really screwed if Pringle left. Cause at least well, they Pringle, were, they're allowed to draft guys. Like they could have let Pringle walk and then. Well, I think they're, I think, they, I think they viewed, well, I think they knew they were going to trade that first round pick for, for some offensive line help. So I think they viewed that as mm. not the most tenable thing. That makes sense. That makes sense. Second round tender is still, I, I still don't understand that. Right? I mean, it's, it was, it's their, their off season was very bizarre. I like, clearly they, I think what Brett Veach would tell you and what Andy Reid would tell you is we have faith in Mahomes to make the guys we have good enough. But our most important thing is we got it. The offensive line has got to be good enough because we can't be putting Pat in a situation where he's running for his life. Like, I, I think that's what they would tell you. I think they'd say, if you, if you got Brett Veach uh, drunk at a bar and we're chatting with him about the Chiefs at 2 o'clock in the morning, I think he'd say, look, we know Hardman and Pringle and D-Rob are not great players, but we just have faith in Pat. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that that's just the truth. Um, where, do you have exposure to Pringle and, and D-Rob? Every, dra- I, every draft. I try, every, every draft, I try to take one of... Hardman, Pringle, Robinson, or Daryl Williams. Just one of those guys. Because I, I was uh, like, here, I will, I will pull up my projections and even, even show you why. I, and actually, I was um, drafting this up as a tweet that I was going to send today. And I still think I'm, I'm going to send it. So let's say, let's say you want to get just crazy with the target shares for the Kansas City Chiefs. And you want to give... 55% of the targets to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So I, I have um, Patrick Mahomes projected for 573 attempts, which might even be a little bit low, um, but for 4,800, actually, you know what? It is low because I just had a hanging integer there. So I just fixed that. So I have been projected for even more passing attempts than that. Um, I've been projected for about 650. Oh, well, that was a that was quite the hanging in. I, I had I had I had uh, I had something messed up from the, from the playoffs. So I what got does that, that mean hanging in. It means that I had another player projected for passing attempts who was oh. mislabeled like there was something in the wrong column. Um, so I, I have 25 percent target share for Tyreek Hill, which is high. Right. He has never been higher than 23 percent before. So I'm already giving him a bump and I'm yep. giving Travis Kelsey a bump up to 27%. So that's 52% wow. of, and, and to be clear, this is very aggressive. Leone does not have Tyreek and Travis Kelsey projected this aggressively. Our friends at four for four don't have these guys projected that aggressively. So I'm giving 52% of the passing offense to these two players. Uh, that means roughly there are about, 310 targets up for grabs, even with projecting those guys that aggressively. So that means there's 310 Patrick Mahomes targets that are basically unclaimed between CEH, uh, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman, Byron Pringle, Cornell Powell, Marcus Kemp, Noah Gray, Nick Kaiser, Blake Bell, those, those guys. Um, and then, you know, there certainly is a scenario where just like last year, Daryl Williams is the third down back. So it's like, what are, what are you doing with these 310-ish Kansas City Chiefs touches? Like, it's like someone's going to be really good with those touches. 
And whoever that is, is probably going too cheap in drafts right now, whether it be Hardman, whether it be Daryl Williams, whether it be Pringle, whether it be Robinson or even Powell. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's the ambiguous backfield thing, but it's like, you know, it's ambiguous target tree. And it's, yeah. and the, and the tree is Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's the giving, it's the Joshua tree. Like it's, it's yeah. the tree of life. It's the tree of life, ambiguous tree of life. Like, yeah, like I, to put, I'm, to put it fan. even more, to put it even more clearly, like Steelers secondary players are go are more expensive than Chiefs secondary players or um, like Panthers secondary players are like more like, you know what I mean? Like Terrace Marshall is going ahead of whoever the third receiving option on the Chiefs would be like, just to give people an idea of what the market is doing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's tough because like, you know, you don't know how it's going to break out as the wide receiver too, but I would imagine that, you know, there might be some weeks here where the wide receiver three is it's, producing. Yes. You know? I mean, look, so, we have it not last year because the chiefs had a weird regular season, but in 2019 D Rob like had two random two touchdown games in games where Tyreek and Travis Kelsey were also productive. And Sammy Watkins was playing plenty, you know? Yes. So yeah, you can have like, maybe Hardman isn't on the field as much as we'd like, but like, and, and Demarcus Robinson is basically playing like a full-time role. I think, I think Hardman can still hit in that scenario where he runs less routes than Demarcus Robinson. Um, Cause he's just a lot more explosive or maybe Demarcus Robinson, you know, has a, like three spike weeks. I mean, Demarcus Robinson's wide receiver, 84. Demarcus Robinson, Demarcus me. Robinson has had spark uh, spike weeks since the the initiation uh, of Patrick Mahomes in this offense. So in uh, 2019, he had uh, 172 yards and two touchdowns against the Raiders, 43 yards and a touchdown against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, had another decent game against the Chargers, but that was that was with Hardman and Watkins playing. And then last season. He had probably three weeks, you would call, a D-Rob spike week. So you're averaging about two, two and a half spike weeks for D-Rob with Watkins in the offense. And now Robinson is probably just going to be playing that Watkins role. Yeah. So for him to be free doesn't really make sense. I like Hardman a lot more, obviously, but I mean, I think I might have to start drafting to Marcus Robinson. I don't have any faith in Byron Pringle. Like he's never shown anything. I, so I don't have I don't have any faith, there. but it but the second round tender would suggest true yeah. that the Chiefs do. So I, I just think I just think if you were going into a best ball draft, you need to get one of the secondary Chiefs. You could even include uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire in that. Like if you take Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the second round, call it good. But I just feel like in every draft, one of CEH or Daryl, and then one of Hardman, Robinson, Pringle, or or even even Powell, honestly. And you want you want Hill and, and Kelsey exposure, obviously, because you just pointed they're out the they hardest, they're the hardest. They're the hardest ones to get. They're the hardest ones to get because the ADP is so screwy that you basically are are locked into not getting Mahomes if you take one of them. Which is, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it does kind of suck to know. Like those those stacks are so rare. That does suck, but the play is that you know this guy. You're basically because you have it right. Like Hill at twenty five. Kelsey at 27, but it could break like Hill 29, you know, and Kelsey isn't as big a part of the offense, or it could break like Kelsey 30, you know, like, so in those scenarios, not having the stack isn't 
actually that bad because the upside just comes from them being like so dominant. You know, you might not need the Mahomes part of it because the quarterback points are more replaceable. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's the whole argument. I was talking about this with Bime Four last week, but like stacking the offense without the quarterback because the quarterback points are so linear. Like it's, it's, and, and like very rarely are you getting quarterback points that like break anything because just by and large quarterbacks are getting between like 20 and 30 points most of the time. Like that's just kind of how it works, especially on underdog where there are no bonuses on DK. It's a little bit different with the 300 yard and the 100 yard bonus. It's, it's slightly different. Like Lamar, like Lamar in the championship week, you could just not win without him because he gets 310 passing yards and 110 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Like he could go full Vic. Um, But it, yeah, it quarterback is a little bit less different. Yeah. But right. So if you can get, you know, if you're saying like, well, you can go naked Hill, naked Kelsey, you want to get exposed to all these other guys, just a chief in every draft, man. A chief in every draft. Uh, All right, man. Tell people what to look out for on NBC sports edge. Yeah. So I, uh, as we talked about earlier, I had this article come out on rookies in best ball. I did not give any player recommendations. You can tell basically from who I talked about here, who those are, are going to be, but I will have an article coming out. Uh, hopefully this week, uh, basically needs to write it as soon as we're done talking. Um, so I, I think I'm actually hoping it'll come out tomorrow as long as I can get it finished up. And, uh, so be on the lookout for that. I'm going to go through the, this rookie class and give my thoughts using this framework to, to see if they are targets in best ball drafts. Uh, I just had the preview for the Panthers come out. I've got the preview for the lions coming out next week. The lions has been kind of a fun one to write. You get to revisit the, the, uh, Dan Campbell, opening press conference uh pretty pretty wild uh do you know he started that press conference with uh he was like man i'm just so excited i, I just gotta contain myself <laughs> well well dan it's amazing <laughs> i've got some bad news for you buddy uh you talked about biting kneecaps so yeah anyway that's that's been a fun one to write you can look out for that um team previews will be kind of rolling out from everyone on the team basically every day we got one dropping so be on the lookout for those and uh, going to start podcasting again on the NBC Sports Edge feed. Good football show. Got one of those coming tomorrow. And always uh, ship chasing Wednesdays at uh, 9.15. Beautiful. All right, everyone, follow Pat on Twitter. Read his stuff on NBC Sports Edge. Listen to the good football show. And we'll be back next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.